TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness. The Executioners of the Corporate State, Chris Hedges, interviews Stephen Donziger. Since 1993, attorney Stephen Donziger has battled the oil giant Chevron on behalf of indigenous communities in the Amazon basin. Their land has been polluted by toxic waste from oil drilling. 16 billion gallons of poisonous wastewater that contain copper, mercury, lead, and other carcinogens were dumped into rivers and impoundment ponds. Indigenous communities and poor farmers in the region have seen their immune and reproductive systems seriously damaged. Cancer is an epidemic now, along with birth defects. Stephen Donziger, in 2013, helped lead the legal effort that won the largest court judgment in history for human rights and environmental justice, a $9.5 billion verdict against Chevron. Chevron, following the verdict, sold their assets in Ecuador and left the country. The corporation threatened the plaintiffs with, quote, a lifetime of litigation if they attempted to collect. According to internal memos, Chevron launched a highly funded and sustained campaign to destroy Donziger's career. To this day, Chevron has not paid any of the $9.5 billion verdict to the indigenous communities whose land they polluted, and they proceed with their campaign against Stephen Donziger. He was sentenced in federal court in New York on October 1, 2021, on contempt of court charges, which could send him to jail for six months. Judge Loretta Preska, who sentenced Donziger, is an advisor to the Conservative Federalist Society, to which Chevron is a major donor. Preska was handpicked to oversee the case against Donziger by Judge Louis A. Kaplan, the Chevron-invested former tobacco industry lawyer. Both should have recused themselves for conflict of interest. Thanks to Chris Hedges for this interview with Stephen Donziger. They spoke on October 9, 2021. Chris Hedges is an investigative journalist, New York Times former staff and best-selling author and television host of On Contact. Here's Chris Hedges. Welcome to On Contact. Today we discuss the ongoing persecution of the human rights lawyer Stephen Donziger. Judge Loretta Preska, an advisor to the Conservative Federalist Society, to which Chevron is a major donor, sentenced the human rights attorney and Chevron nemesis Stephen Donziger to six months in prison Friday for misdemeanor contempt of court after he had spent 787 days under house arrest in New York City. Preska's caustic outbursts, she said at the sentencing, it seems that only the proverbial two-by-four between the eyes will instill in him any respect for law, capped a judicial farce worthy of the antics of the presiding judges at the major 
show trials of the great purges in the Soviet Union or the Nazi judge Ronald Fressler who once shouted at a defendant, you really are a lousy piece of trash. Donziger, a graduate of Harvard Law School, has been fighting polluting American oil companies for nearly three decades on behalf of indigenous communities and peasant farmers in Ecuador. His only crime was winning a $9.5 billion judgment in 2011 against Chevron for thousands of plaintiffs. The oil giant had bought Texaco Oil Company holdings in Ecuador inheriting a lawsuit alleging it deliberately discharged 16 billion gallons of toxic waste from its oil sites into rivers, groundwater, and farmland. Since the verdict, Chevron has come after him, weaponizing litigation to destroy him economically, professionally, and personally. The sentencing came a day after Donziger petitioned the court to consider an opinion by the United Nations Human Rights Council that found his house arrest a violation of international human rights law. The UN Human Rights Council said his house arrest counted as detention under international law and it was therefore illegal for Judge Preska to demand an additional six months in jail. Amnesty International also has called for Donziger's immediate release. Donziger and his lawyers have two weeks to appeal the judge's order that Donziger be sent immediately to jail. Preska denied Donziger bail, claiming he is a flight risk. If the Federal Court of Appeals turns down Donziger's appeal, he will go to jail for six months. The irony, not lost on Donziger and his lawyers, is that the higher court may overturn Preska's ruling against him. But by the time that decision is made, he will potentially have already spent six months in jail. Joining me on the show to discuss this case is human rights attorney Stephen Donziger. So I was saying before we went on the show, there's a series of legal firsts here that you have accumulated, quite a few. I'm going to run through them. It reminds me very much of the persecution of Julian Assange. You are the first person under U.S. law charged with a B misdemeanor to be placed on home confinement prior to trial with an ankle monitor. You are the first person charged with any misdemeanor to be held under home confinement for over two years. You are the first attorney ever to be charged with criminal contempt over a discovery dispute in a civil case where the attorney went into voluntary contempt to pursue an appeal. You are the first person to be prosecuted under Rule 42, that's criminal contempt, by a private prosecutor with financial ties to the entity and industry that was a litigant in the underlying civil dispute that gave rise to the others. And you are the first person tried by a private prosecutor who had ex parte communications with a charging judge while that judge remained and remains unrecused on the criminal case. The legal anonymies in your case are just staggering. And perhaps you, uh, as a lawyer, can address all of these egregious violations of the law uh, which have been used to justify this kind of witch hunt against you. As a result of our victory in that case, Chevron went after me and they got this judge, Lewis Kaplan, to deny me a jury in a civil fraud case 
I'm the first person ever charged under civil RICO ever to be denied a jury. Kaplan then let Chevron pay an Ecuadorian man $2 million or more dollars to come in and basically lie about me, claimed I bribed a trial judge in Ecuador, and there's no evidence I did that other than the words out of this man's mouth. And he later admitted lying. His name is Alberto Guerra. And Chevron coached him for 53 days, as their lawyers did, before he went into court and lied. On the basis of that, um, Chevron then upped the ante and attacked me by asking Kaplan to impose literally millions of dollars of court costs on me at a jury. The pretext that I was hiding money, even though I live modestly and I'm a human rights lawyer and they knew I had very little money, they asked Kaplan to order me to turn over my computer and cell phone to them. Um, that implicated attorney-client privilege. Confidential documents would have destroyed the case. No one had ever heard of such an order ever being issued. It was blatantly unlawful. So I told Judge Kaplan quite openly and honestly, I said, I can't comply with this order. I want to appeal it. I'm going to go into voluntary civil contempt to get a direct appeal. He finally held me in civil contempt after I'd asked him for a year. By the way, I never said I would never turn over my computer. I just needed protections to make sure the privilege information would be protected. He wouldn't give them. So while I was on appeal, I was appealing the lawfulness of his order. He charged me with criminal contempt for not complying with an order that he issued that I was appealing. And it's just unheard of. And then on that basis, on top of it, he took the charge, his criminal charge, which I think was entirely inappropriate to begin with, to the U.S. Attorney's Office, the federal prosecutor here in Manhattan, and they turned down the case. He kept going. And he appointed this private law firm, Seward & Kissel, which has Chevron as a client. He bypassed local rules requiring random assignment, or assignment of criminal cases, picked his own judge, who, by the way, is a leader of the Federalist Society, to which Chevron gives major money, as you pointed out. Um, so I'm basically being prosecuted by a Chevron law firm in a case overseen by a Chevron judge, who also denied me a jury, even though I was facing jail. She then had me locked up and then after you know over 700 days of being locked up in my home, by the way, no lawyer's ever been locked up for even one day pre-trial on a criminal contempt charge ever. She then had a what we consider to be a farcical trial where she read the newspaper, wouldn't let me testify as to my defense. Um, and you know, as we expected, she found me guilty and she then has now sentenced me to prison on top of this. And again, as you point out, you know, this is illegal. We think it's illegal under the Constitution. It's clearly illegal under international law, according to the United Nations Working Group on Arbitrary Detention, which just issued this momentous ruling two days before my sentencing that predictably was completely ignored by the judge. It's pretty clear what they're doing. They are, to put it kindly, abusing the law to destroy you and to punish you. Uh, they had asked for financial compensation by attacking you or forcing you to pay Chevron, but when that uh, would have required a jury, they dropped it because I think it's quite evident that any jury would recognize uh, that this entire lynching uh, is a judicial burlesque. Uh, and let's just mention, by the way, that Kaplan was a former corporate lawyer for the tobacco industry. But let's talk about first, before we go back to the case, what they're doing right now, because they, they seem to have built a mechanism that is almost guaranteed or, or may very well send you to jail for six months, as I said in the introduction. And if they do that immediately, 
by the time you challenge the entire ruling, I think it takes about a year, they will have already uh, forced you into jail, even though legally uh, you almost assuredly, in a fair trial, uh, would have been found innocent. Well, that's a critical point. So there's various junctions in this process where they trick up the system to guarantee the result they want and give me no chance. I mean, one is Preska has determined I'm a risk of flight. I have a wife and a son. I would never leave. You know, I showed up in court Friday. She could have locked me up that day. Obviously, I'm not scared of jail. I mean, if I, have to, I don't want to go to jail. Let me be clear. But if I have to, I'll go. So, you know, this risk of flight pretext is you know bogus in the in, in the eyes of me and most objective observers but on that basis she's basically keeping me locked up in my home where i don't have a passport i'm unable to travel unable to work on the underlying case that is to help the ecuadorians enforce their 9.5 billion dollar pollution judgment against chevron against chevron's assets in other countries so it's really a way for Chevron to disable my advocacy in a way that lowers their financial risk and also at the same time sends a message of intimidation to all lawyers and environmental campaigners, earth defenders who want to do this work and do it successfully, you know, like I have done. And the latest trick is given that the appeal of her conviction, which I, by the way, I think I have a fabulous appeal will take in the normal course at least a year to be resolved. She is now trying to force me to serve my complete six month sentence before the appellate court can resolve the appeal. And obviously if they resolve the appeal in my favor, yet I've already served my full sentence, it sort of moots out the appeal or the purpose of the appeal. And at that point I will have served the entire sentence for a crime that in the eyes of the law here, I did not commit. That's very scary. I'll point out that I'm convicted of a misdemeanor. It's a class B misdemeanor, Chris. It's the most low level offense possible in the federal system where one could be put in jail. And there is no rec historical record in this country of anyone who has no criminal record being given a jail sentence for a class B misdemeanor. Well, I should say it's very unusual. There's no historical record of someone being given a jail sentence for a class B misdemeanor, who then was locked up prior to being able to have his or her appeal resolved. This is a first. It's highly unusual. And obviously, in my view, it's a function of the fact that Judge Preska and Judge Kaplan, who charged me, are carrying out Chevron's retaliation campaign against me. They're not acting like normal judges. I mean, normal judges ethically are supposed to be fair, be disinterested, listen to the facts, apply the law in a neutral way. And that's obviously not what's happening here. Every step of the way, there's a level of vitriol. I mean, that comment she made that I needed to be smacked in the forehead by a two by four to respect the law when I'm the one, I believe, respecting the law. I mean, I appealed Judge Kaplan's order. I've never thumbed my nose at a court. They're the ones, in my opinion, who are operating outside the framework of the rule of law and carrying out this, this demonization and criminalization campaign that Chevron is doing, targeting me. And I'd say they're doing it not just to save themselves money so they don't have to pay the people they poisoned down in Ecuador. I think they're doing it on behalf of the whole fossil fuel industry to scare the heck out of anyone who wants to take on that industry in a time of structural decline. I mean, that's really what this is about. It's an intimidation campaign. And they're trying to get, they're trying to get people not to do this critically important frontline work to protect our planet to hold major polluters accountable. They don't want people doing this work. 
We continue our discussion about the fight for truth and justice under America's increasingly corporatized legal system with the human rights attorney, Stephen Donziger. I want to talk about what these last two years have done to you and your family, because in many ways they've used these mechanisms. You're wearing an ankle bracelet. Uh, you can't make a living. It has had repercussions. You, you spoke about that for your son. In many ways, even before a verdict was reached, they imposed these punitive conditions that they knew uh, would be quite difficult for you and for your family. They've also taken away your ability to make a living. They've, you're disbarred. That is true. Um, that's a critical component of their strategy. And by the way, that's another first, by the way. I'm the only person in the history of the state of New York disbarred without a hearing based on findings in a civil case. In other words, Kaplan's findings based on this false witness testimony were used to disbar me and they ruled the bar grievance process ruled I had no right to challenge Kaplan's findings. They applied what's called the doctrine of collateral estoppel, which is crazy. I mean, that, that, that's a doctrine that means you can't relitigate issues already decided, but Kaplan didn't decide the case. The Ecuador court did. So you have this bizarre situation where you have 28 judges in Ecuador and Canada who validated the Ecuador judgment. Kaplan claimed it was a fraud based on false witness testimony, yet it's Kaplan's findings that the bar used to disbar me without a hearing. I mean, it's disgusting. And, but you know, there's a long history, by the way, in, in the United States of, of, you know, using the bar disciplinary process um, for political purposes to attack progressive lawyers or lawyers who challenge the status quo. I mean, this has happened to lawyers who represented Vietnam protesters or lawyers who represented, you know, people charged in the Red Scare in the 1950s or drummed out of the bar constantly. It's controlled by the big corporate law firms. You know, so isn't it ironic, Chris, that I lost my license, the Chevron lawyers who made up evidence to frame me are still practicing. You know, I'm going to jail. The Chevron executives who this made the decision to pollute Ecuador, resulting in the deaths of thousands of people and the decimation of indigenous groups, they live with impunity. I held them accountable and I'm going to prison. I mean, go figure. It's so backwards. It's so upside down. And, you know, it's bigger than me. And I want people to understand that, you know, this is about me. Please help me. I need support. I need good energy. I need help with our legal defense fund. But, you know, ultimately, this is about an attack on advocacy by corporate power in America. They do not want people like Steve Donziger being able to talk to people like Chris Hedges openly. They want to silence my voice. They want to use it to intimidate everyone into, again, not doing this work or being so scared. They don't even want young lawyers to get into this field. You know, they want to hold me up um, as a sort of symbol of what could happen if you do this work. And I would just tell people, you know, but by the way, this is happening because of our success. <laughs> Let's be clear, not because we did anything wrong. This is a great line of work. And as, despite my these complications I'm personally living with, I have lived my life with purpose, as I pointed out in my statement to Judge Preska. I feel blessed for that reason. We have been highly successful. And the reality is the, the surest evidence that we have been successful is what they're now doing, you know, which is I would describe as just naked, open abuse of power. They don't even try to hide it. I wonder if they want it to be naked, open, and abusive, whether that the bias, uh, and we went through 
all of the legal anomalies of your case, uh, whether this is all done on purpose to send a kind of message to people who stand up as you did uh, that you're going to be lynched. There's no pretense of the rule of law. I've wondered that myself because they certainly don't seem embarrassed about what they're doing. You know, and I think part of the power dynamic of, of what I would call a show trial, which is I really believe what I was just put through without a jury, where the decision was pre-ordained, pre-cooked in, in the back rooms of the judges' chambers, is to convey to the world that they have the power and you don't. And, you know, if you're going to engage in, in an abuse of power and you feel like you have the power to get away with it, sometimes when you do it openly, it's actually more demoralizing to the populace, you know, to the citizenry. And I've urged people who are supporting this case, supporting the Ecuadorians to not get demoralized by this. You know, we have power too. We have a lot of leverage. There's thousands of people, Chris, who, who, who are looking at this now who never would have had they not done this. Um, so we're moving and we have the UN decision behind us. And my lawyers are going to Merrick Garland and Joe Biden and they're going to insist I be released by the DOJ taking this case over from the private Chevron prosecution. You know, whether it'll work or not, I don't know, but we are moving and we are determined to be sure that the rule of law comes back into play in my case and that this private Chevron prosecution be halted. You have this superstar legal team, most of whom are working pro bono, although there are still significant legal costs. John uh, Keeker, is it, one of your lawyers? Uh, up against 160 lawyers for Chevron during the trial, said he felt like, quote, a goat tethered to a stake. He called the court proceedings under Kaplan, Dickensian farce, and as you mentioned, a show trial. Just to close, uh, the corporate seizure of the courts, one of the key points raised by Lewis Powell in the Powell Memo in 1971, the blueprint for the corporate seizure of power in the United States, it's bipartisan. Kaplan was appointed, I believe, by Clinton. And uh, just in the last two minutes, talk about the danger of, in essence, these corporate judges who are now persecuting you. A lot of people who are not lawyers don't fully appreciate how much our federal judiciary has been taken over by corporate influence, mostly through the Federalist Society, to which you know all the big corporations, fossil fuel companies, Chevron, their law firms, like they fund this entity that essentially has taken over control of judicial appointments from the American Bar Association, which is the neutral body that historically did it, and put it in the hands of this right-wing pro-corporate entity that was really created in large part by the Koch brothers and their funding network. You know, I mean, Trump just appointed in four years 23% of all the federal judiciary and they were all Federalist Society judges, all young, right-wing, largely inexperienced, not very qualified lawyers who are now on the bench. And their first and foremost goal is to protect corporate power. Amy Coney Barrett, you know, the Supreme Court justice, is a perfect illustration of this phenomenon. So when you're a human rights lawyer, you're fighting for people with no money, like I have been for many years, or you're a civil rights lawyer, you go into a federal appellate court now, it is really difficult to get a fair hearing. There's almost no human rights lawyers as judges, no civil rights lawyers, no defense lawyers. They're all either corporate lawyers or people coming out of the government prosecutorial offices. You know, so we're constantly swimming upstream. And you know, another thing about the climate movement, you know, while citizens are getting more and more mobilized to save our planet, our federal courts are stopping climate lawsuits constantly. 
blocking the change needed to really save our planet. And that's by design. It's by the design of the fossil fuel industry and this funding network that is has an enormous amount of influence on our federal judiciary. I don't mean every judge. There are some good judges, many good judges. But there's enough of these right wing judges now that overall the tenor of the judiciary has changed. You see this obviously at the Supreme Court of the United States now, Texas abortion law being the most recent obvious example. But you see it constantly at the circuit court level. And frankly, you see it in what's happening to me. I mean, look, I blame Kaplan and Prescott, but where's the appellate court? Like, why have they not stopped judges Kaplan and Prescott from abusing their power? You know, why are they letting a man, be a human rights lawyer, be locked up for over two years in his home unprecedented? When the longest sentence ever given to a lawyer, by the way, is 90 days of home confinement for my offense level. Where are you? So it's not just two individual judges. We do have a, a real institutional problem in our federal courts now. There's a lack of accountability. And there is a, a real control by these right-wing pro-corporate elements. And I'll say, you know, whether it's a Democrat, whether it's Biden or Obama, Clinton, Bush, Trump, I mean, yeah, it's a little worse under the Republicans, but, you know, the Republicans are appointing extreme right wing activists and the Democrats are appointing kind of moderately conservative centrists. So and by the way, one thing they all agree on is to sort of protect the economy as it's structured and to really be very hostile to human rights claims, particularly from lawyers representing foreigners, people from other countries who have been victimized by U.S. corporations. Great, we're gonna to have to stop there, Steve. That was the human rights lawyer, Stephen Donziger. Thank you, Chris. That was Chris Hedges, an investigative journalist, New York Times best-selling author, and television host of On Contact. He spoke with attorney Stephen Donziger in early October 2021, just days after Donziger was sentenced by Judge Loretta Preska for contempt of court, which could send him to jail for six months. In 2013, Donziger helped lead the legal effort that won the largest court judgment in history for human rights and environmental justice, a $9.5 billion verdict against Chevron for spilling 16 billion gallons of toxic oil drilling waste. Chevron threatened the plaintiffs with, quote, a lifetime of litigation if they attempted to collect. To this day, Chevron has not paid any of the $9.5 billion verdict to the indigenous communities whose land they polluted. Meanwhile, support for Donziger is growing. The United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights ruled that his two years of house arrest was illegal under international law and that he had been denied the right to fair trial. Sixty-eight Nobel laureates have shown their solidarity and another 475 lawyers and human rights defenders have signed a letter that calls his prosecution, quote, one of the most important corporate accountability and human rights cases of our time. End quote. Representative Jim McGovern of Massachusetts said after the prison sentence on October 1st 
that, quote, it's the executives at Chevron, not Stephen Donziger, who should be behind bars. You can hear this program again for free on TUC Radio's website, tucradio.org. Look at the newest programs or the podcast page. Our email address is tuc at tucradio.org. My name is Maria Gelarden. Thank you for listening.